0: So we are calling this the wonderful summer of Disney, and one of the things we think a church ought to be is it ought to be fun. And um, I don't know about you, but I love Disney. I'm not ashamed to say it. I've given them a lot of my money already. Um, and so this summer, we thought, why not have fun and look at some of the Disney classics and then pick out the themes of the gospel and, um, and be able to think about those themes that teach us something and the scriptures that guide us in the gospel truths from these stories that we love so much. So uh, today we're going to be talking about the Lion King. I hope you have your outline there in front of you. I hope you might have a pen and maybe your Bible or your technology device so that you can read the scriptures as we study them. And maybe the most important things on those little sheets of paper that we've given to you are not the fill in the blanks that I'll be walking you through, but they might be just the whispers of God that he speaks over you about your life and, um, and your walk uh, with God. So uh, today we're going to be talking about the Lion King. And before we dive into the Lion King, I want to begin with two opening scriptures, okay? They really have nothing to do with the Lion King, but I think they set a little bit of the biblical foundation for where I want to take us today. Now, you've probably heard in the Old Testament of uh, uh, the great fathers of the faith, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. I want to start with a scripture that comes out of that way back time when uh, the fathers of our faith, um, a neat story about how Jacob, one of the fathers of our faith, was uh, feeling called to speak a word of blessing over each of his children. Now, if you know that story, Jacob had 12 sons, and right towards the end of his life, he was going to speak a word over every one of his sons. He's going to lay his hand on his son, he was going to speak a word over that son. And one one of the things I think is neat about this is it shows us the power of the spoken word, and the scripture they're going to read actually shows us that 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 word had a way of shaping the very destiny and the future of that son as that father laid his hands on his son. And I'm going to read about one particular son. Uh, Jacob laid his hands on Judah. And Judah was one of, the 12, one of his 12 sons. And as he laid his hands on Judah, I want you to read that with me what he, what he spoke over Judah. He said these words in Genesis 49, verse 9. You are a lion's cub, Judah, You return from the prey, my son, like a lion he crouches and lies down, like a lioness who dares to rouse him. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of the nations shall be his. Now, if you know this story you know that the the kingly line of Israel actually came from the line of Judah. So when this dad, Jacob, laid his hands on his son Judah, the words he spoke became words of truth, words of prophecy, words of a defining future. Now, other folks heard those words. They were written down, and they began to ask themselves a question because those are strong words. The scepter will not depart from your son. And they began to ask themselves, what kind of What kind of king will be born that the scepter will not ever pass away from him? And what kind of king will rule for Israel that all the nations will bow down? And as as you probably know, David was one of the great, 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 great grandsons of Judah. And so when David became king, many people looked at it and said, well, it must be David. But if you know your biblical story, David was one of the kings of Israel during the Golden Age of Israel But not all the nations bowed down to even David. And then we know the story, right? We're here today because we know that the king that came from the line of Judah, the son of David, was named Jesus. And I want to read one more scripture with you real quickly because that scripture gives us a a beautiful picture of the king that will reign forever. From Revelation, verse 5. And this is, by the way, this is John. He's looking at earth. And all of hell is breaking forth in earth. Things are going terribly wrong in this broken world as he looks at earth. And he begins to weep because there is so much sorrow. There's so much hatred. There's so much terrible things. Terrible things are happening. John begins to weep as he's watching this vision. And then then, uh, the Bible picks up in Revelation 5. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah... The root of David has triumphed. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. Guys, I believe God's got a great word for us today. I'm excited to preach about the Lion King. I really am. And um, I just wonder if you came to church today really ready for what God might have to speak over you today. So, would you, with me, just pray a prayer of openness that whatever God would have to say to you, that it, like a seed, would be planted in your soul, and that it would bear bear fruit for you. So would you pray with me just a prayer of openness today? God, we're here. We know your word is truth. And today, as we hold a a Disney classic in one hand and scriptural truth in the other, and we, we think about the ways that you would want to change us or to challenge us or to mold us, to shape us, we're open. So, Lord, like you did on the seashore of Galilee when you spoke and and minds were open and hearts were changed, and, and like you did on the temple steps in Jerusalem, would you just today walk through this sanctuary and speak your word over us? It might be a totally different word than our neighbor. Speak your word over us and plant your seed in our life that it may bear fruit. We are open. I open our hearts. I open our minds today, Lord, to your word. And we pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so The Lion King. We're going to watch a few clips today, and and kind of like last week, I'm going to invite you to ask the same question over and over again. As you watch these clips, where can you find the gospel in these Disney stories that we love so much? Now, let me remind you, The Lion King was released in, anybody know the year? That's a little piece piece of trivia. 1994, the very year my oldest child, Abigail, was born. Um, so, when Abby was born, the Lion King came out in theaters. Now, what's interesting about that is that means that a lot of our, our young people, you know, our 20s and 30-somethings, they actually grew up watching this, kid, this movie as kids, right? But maybe more, you know, more for some of us in this room, we actually took our kids to this movie, you know? We sat there as the young parents while our kids were watching The Lion King. Now, if you never saw the Lion King animated version that we're going to watch on the screen this morning, maybe you've seen the Lion King Broadway musical because the movie was such a hit success that it turned into many different forms. And um, as after, when it was released in 1994, it became the highest grossing animated film and held that title for the next six years until that was trumped Trump by somebody else in another animated movie. And by the way, still to this day, though, it is the highest grossing hand-drawn it, the Lion King was, was the last of its kind in the Disney hand-drawn movies. And after that, the, all the rest of the animated movies would be computer-generated. So it is still to this date the highest gro- grossing hand-drawn animated movie, The Lion King. And now maybe what some of us remember the most is the music. You remember it won two Oscars because who wrote the music for... Yes, yeah, sir, Elton John, that's right, and then Tim Rice too, right? Tim Rice is on the side. It had some great music to it, and people love the songs. We're going to hear a couple of them this morning. So you know this story, and um, I'm going to begin with an opening clip this morning. And, and as, remember, as you watch these clips, I'm going to invite you to ask yourself, where do you see the gospel, or where do you see biblical themes in every one of these clips? Now, this opening clip, I, want, I just kind of want to prompt you to a couple of places. Some folks have watched this clip, and they've seen themes of baptism in it. They've seen how, how um, the, the new lion king is anointed and raised up and light shafts over him and, and all the animals gather around. And it's kind of like what happens at baptism. When somebody's baptism, the, the body of Christ all gathers around. Others have seen the story of Jesus and uh, Jesus' birth, maybe even how he was brought to Simeon. You remember that early story and presented in the temple? Well, as you watch this, I want you to think about these themes of the gospel, the Bible, And then uh, maybe from there, we'll have a place to launch towards some biblical understanding.
1: more to find than can ever be found. With <laughs> the sun rolling high in the sapphire sky, it's great and small on the endless round. It's the circle.
0: King, right? You know, the Lion King is really a story of a dad and a son. And that's part of the reason we chose the Lion King for this Father's Day weekend. It's the story of Mufasa and Simba. Now you know that Mufasa and Simba are, are the, they're the protagonists of the story. They're the good guys, and we're going to get to see their journey together as the new lion cub wants to one day follow in his father's footsteps and become the lion king. Now, let me fast forward in this, in this storyline a little bit and, and just kind of remind you of what happens. Um, Mufasa, trying to protect Simba, uh, tells Simba not, not to do certain things and to do other things. And one of the things he tells him not to do, you remember, is to not go into the elephant graveyard. You remember that? The hyenas live in the ele- elephant graveyard. Don't go in the... He, there's, there's great danger in the elephant graveyard. Now, interestingly enough, dads, what happens when we tell our kids not to do something? What do they want to do? Exactly the opposite, right? So that's exactly what happens in this movie. Uh, Mufasa tells Simba, you don't go there, that's dangerous, and you know what happens. Simba partners up with his good friend Nala, and what do they do? They head straight for the elephant graveyard, and what happens when they get there? They find themselves in a great place of danger. The hyenas jump on them, and they're about to kill them, when thankfully Mufasa learns that they have disobeyed, and Mufasa arrives and saves the day. He beats away the hyenas, and they run away, and he saves uh, Simba. He saves Nala. And if you remember this part in the story, he sends Nala on her way, lets her go back home, and then as a father, he has a little talking to do with Simba. And I guess the question is now, who's in trouble, right, when you don't do what your dad told you to do? Watch this clip with me, and let's talk about dads a little bit.
1: Simba, I'm very disappointed in you. I know. You could have been killed. You deliberately disobeyed me. And what's worse, you put Nala in danger. I was just trying to be brave like you. I'm only brave when I have to be. Simba, being brave doesn't mean you go looking for trouble. But you're not scared of anything. I was today. You were? Yes. I thought I might lose you. Oh. I guess even kings get scared, huh? Mm-hmm. But you know what? What? I think those hyenas were even scarier. Because <laughs> nobody messes with your dad. Come here, you. Oh, no, no! <laughs> 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 <Okay. laughs> Come <Gotcha>. here. <laughs> Right. Right. And we'll always be together, right? Simba, let me tell you something that my father told me. Look at the stars. The great kings of the past looked down on us from those stars. Really? Yes. So whenever you feel alone, just remember that those kings will always be there to guide you. And so will I.
0: Hey, let me ask you guys who are dads for a minute. Where would you learn how to be a dad? Anybody here take a course on being a dad before you became a dad? Let me just see you raise your hand. Overachievers, anybody in the room? Not a singular one of us took a course on being a dad. So where would you learn how to be a dad? What's the answer to the question? Huh? From your dad. I mean, most of us learn how to be a dad by watching our dad, right? And good, bad, or indifferent, we learn how to be a dad by watching our dad. And it's a reminder for all of us that dads have great power. You know, I, I heard something this week that had just stuck with me, and I was thinking about where my kids are in their age. And I was uh, the, the thing I heard, I, I was driving down the road, and I was listening to the Christian radio station, and somebody on the radio station made this comment. And here's a comment, and, and you see if you agree with this. They said, for most of us, we, it took us until we were in our 40s to truly to begin appreciate the wisdom of our own parents. I mean, we might have thought a little bit in the 20s or 30s, but by, by the time we were 40, that's when we realized how smart and wise and helpful and how, the, how blessed we were to have the parents we had. I know that's, that's pretty true. But then they added to that, and they said, now here's the other side to that normally us as parents, it takes us till our kids get in their 40s to figure out how good a parents we were, right? Because when they were in their teens and in their 20s and in their 30s, it's still a little uncertain, right? I mean, there's ups and downs, and we're still wondering how we did until they really kind of get in their 40s. And by the way, if you're in those 20s or 30s, just trust us, that's very true. And here's, here's, the, here's what I want you to write down. And here's that first point I want to share with you today. And it's, it's especially true of parents, but it's also true uh, most importantly about fathers that I'm talking about today. Fathers have the ability to shape their children's identity. Fathers shape their children's identity. Now, you know, I didn't take a course on fatherhood, but God gave me three uh, children, and I, I just knew some things about being a dad. And one of the things I knew was that along with the, the role or the, the privilege or the title of being a dad came power. And I knew as a dad that my children would look up to me and that my children would uh, either grow from my example or they would be hindered from my example. And I remember as an early dad, I didn't take a course. I didn't know a lot. I really didn't. I really didn't know a lot. But I do remember having a couple of things. And I, just, I wrote them actually into your outline today, a couple of things that were in my mind about uh, the ways I wanted to be intentional as a dad. And it started with the first point, And it really happened, I guess, because God gave me a daughter first. And so the first thing I would tell you is, as a dad, then I, when I thought about as a young dad shaping the identity of my children, the first thing I thought about was through Abby. And, I, and, and when it came to Abby, I wanted to be a dad who made sure that my little girl knew she was loved by her daddy. You see, as a pastor, I see a lot of people grow up and they don't really know about their love of their father. And oftentimes they don't have that kind of male influence and love showered on them, and so they go looking that in other places and it oftentimes leads to deep places of pain. And boy, all you have to do is go work with youth for a little while and you'll figure that out. Just join up with our youth ministry and you'll see a lot of, in this case, I was thinking about Abby, young ladies, and I would even say young men who are often seeking that kind of uh, identity, that kind of understanding of who they are, that kind of affirmation and that kind of confirmation over who they are and their identity. And they're seeking it from a place of deficit. As a young dad, I just knew that when Abigail grew up and got older, I didn't want her operating from that place of deficit. I want her to know that her daddy loved her big time. And so I did everything I could to shower her, to vocalize to in every way, let her know that she was the princess and she was loved. And I tried to do that with my boys as well. And I just think that's important. Dads, we need to let our children know that their daddy loves them. I think that's actually part of what Mufasa was trying to do there. He was trying to let Simba know how much he loved him and how much he cared for him, right? And, and this is so, so important that we let our children know. I grew up in the home with a, with, a, with a dad who taught me a lot of good things. He taught me how important my name was. He taught me issues of integrity and honesty. He taught me a lot of good things. But he had a real hard time ever telling me, I love you. Two times. Two times my dad ever verbalized, I love you. Listen, if you're a dad here and you have a hard time with those words, hey, listen, here's the challenge that I would give you today. Understand that you shape your children's identity and that one of the things you should be working on, very intentional about, is letting sure your children know they are loved by their daddy. Now, the second one uh, was just something that I, I think I... I understood because of my own deficit. And that, and that little bullet point I invite you right there is I understood that I had to help my children understood, understand that they were loved by their heavenly father. I knew as a dad that I was going to blow it. I knew as a dad that I was going to mess up. And I knew as a dad by the time they got adults, I couldn't have taught them everything. And I would have probably shown them some bad examples along the way. So one of the most important things I need to show them was that they were loved by a perfect heavenly father. And you know, a lot, of, a lot of children grow up having a hard time connecting in with God because they didn't experience the love of a, of a father or mother and then they can't make that leap towards understanding that they have a heavenly father who is good and perfect and really values them even to the point of sending Jesus to die for them. And I think that is so important. You remember, go back to that story with Judah for a minute. Judah, what his whole life and his, his whole family tree was shaped by the words of his father who spoke words over him defining his future. He was shaping, Jacob was shaping Judah's identity. Much the same way we see Mufasa shaping Simba's identity through his words. Ephesians 6.4 says this, and I I put it in your outline there. Ephesians 6.4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Listen to this. But bring them up in the discipline, and in the instruction of the Lord. So one of the things I would challenge you, this is a great weekend, it's Father's Day weekend, right? What a great weekend to think about your father and how your father might have shaped your identity. Or to maybe think about the the ways you might be shaping the identity of your children. Because as parents, and especially as dads, we have the ability to shape the identity of our children. The Bible instructs us, To bring them up in in this instruction of the Lord. Now, as I said before, the protagonist of this story is Mufasa and Simba, right? They're the good guys. But you know in any great story, there's also got to be an antagonist, right? There's got to be somebody who's the bad guy. Now, in The Lion King, who's the bad guy? Say it out loud. Scar, yeah. What's interesting is they named, they named the bad guy, the, 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 the antagonist, Scar. And when you hear those words, when you hear his name, you're supposed to get a little scared, you know? I mean, this is Scar. And Scar's a bad dude. Now, if you know the storyline, you know that Scar is the brother of the king, Mufasa. And Scar is, is corrupt. Scar wants power. Scar wants position, and he's even gonna come up with a plan to kill his own brother. Scar is uh, a bad guy. And let's just think about that for a little bit, okay? Watch this and I remind you about how bad Scar is. And you couldn't even dispose of them.
1: <laughs> well you know, it wasn't exactly like that was a long scar. Yeah, what are you supposed to do? Kill Mufasa? Precisely. Mm -hmm. I know that your powers of retention are as wet as a warthog's backside. But thick as you are, pay attention! My words are a matter of pride. It's clear from your vacant expression. The lights are not all on upstairs. But we're talking kings and successions. Even you can't be caught unawares. Oh! I shall prepare for the chance of a lifetime. Be prepared for sensational news. A shiny new era is tiptoeing nearer And where do we feature? Just listen to teacher I know it sounds sordid But you'll be rewarded When at last I am given my dues And in justice deliciously swear Be prepared! Yeah, be prepared! Yeah, we'll be prepared! <laughs> What? For the death of the king! Why, is he sick? No fool, we're gonna kill him. And Simba, too. Great idea! Who needs a king? No, no king, no king, king. La,
0: la, 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 la 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 Idiots! There will be a king! Hey,
1: but you said... Uh... I will be king! Stick with me, and you'll never go hungry again! Yay! Yeah. Yeah. Right. Oh, love, love oh. king, the <laughs> king.
0: Scar is a bad guy, isn't he? Oh, we ain't got time to watch the whole song. I know you like that song, but we don't have time to watch the whole thing. But Scar is a dark and evil guy. There's no love, even for his own brother, in Scar. You know, when I see Scar, I don't know about you, but I, my mind goes to some evil people who walked planet Earth who did not care about other people who were so hungry for power and control that they did very evil, bad things to other people. Might I mention Hitler? Might I mention Stalin, right? People who were just terrible, evil people who did evil things in the attempt to gain and to seize power. But I think, I think, part of the storyline behind Scar is that in these moments when we see this kind of bad dude, we're actually supposed to ask ourselves, well, what is inside of us that might be like him? Other than just be repulsed and hating Scar it's worthwhile for us to kind of think to ourselves, hmm, what is like Scar that might be in me that would seek power and control like that? Now, if you know this story, let me just fast forward down the story a little bit. Scar has a plan. He has a two-part plan, but he has a plan. Scar wants to become king, and in order to become king, he's got to get rid of Mufasa, but he's got got to get rid of Simba too. So if you remember in this story, he comes up with a plan. Uh, part A of the plan is that he's going to take Simba, and he's going to put him in the bottom of a gorge, and he's going to tell Simba, hey, your dad wants you to wait for you right here. He's going to come, and he's going he's to come meet you. And then uh, he knows that he's already prompted these hyenas to stir up these wildebeests, and the wildebeests are going to run through that gorge, trampling Simba. And part B of the plan was that then uh, Scar would run to Mufasa and tell him Simba is in the gorge. Simba is going to be trampled by all the wildebeest. Now, if Mufasa will go and try to save Simba, that when when he tries to save Simba, the wildebeest, the stampede, will kill both the king and the the lion king that is to become king. And Scar, as the brother, will become king. So if you remember this storyline, you know what happens, right? Simba is there waiting for his dad... Mufasa, as the stampede starts, runs into the middle of the stampede. He saves Simba, so one part of the plan is spoiled because Simba lives. But the other part of the plan is a success because Mufasa dies. And we get to continue to see the evilness of Scar as he then talks to Simba. Watch this part with me.
1: Simba, what have you done? There were wildebeest, and you tried to save me. It was an accident. I didn't mean for it to happen. Of course, of course you didn't. No one ever means for these things to happen. But the king is dead. And if it weren't for you, he'd still be alive. What will your mother think? What am I going to do? Run away, Simba. Run. Run away and
0: never return. You know, those next words, we probably should have put them on the clip that he turns to the hyenas and says is, kill them. You know, when I watch these uh, Disney movies... I see these natural themes of the biblical storyline because the truth of the matter is every one of these Disney movies, they speak to the human condition. They, they speak to some portion of how we live and we look at the world. And, and the Bible, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, the Bible is God's response to the human condition. So we've had these great stories, these, these fables, and we think about the human condition with it, but then when you hold the Bible next to it, it actually has a good word to speak over this human condition that we're in. And when I see scar, I got your pen, write this one down for me. I think about the evil one who threatens our life. The enemy is real. Write that down. The enemy is very real. I don't mean just a nebulous evilness or wickedness in the world. I mean the the enemy that the Bible clearly describes as Satan, the prince of darkness, who has been given the, the, uh, the permission to have control of this world we live in. In a little while, I'm going to talk about Charleston, but we saw it this week, and it was a reminder that our enemy is very real. Now, I want you to hear those words from Scar to Simba. Let them echo in your mind for a minute. What will your mother think? What will your mother say? And if it weren't for you, the king wouldn't be dead. What am I supposed to do? Run, run, Simba. Got your pen. Let me just remind you of a few things about the enemy that the Bible tells us is is uh, longing to kill, steal, and destroy from you and from me. The word devil, you know what that means? It means slanderer. Write that in there. That word devil, literally the definition in Greek means slanderer. And then the word Satan, it literally means in the, in the Greek accuser. So what that tells us about the evil one that we, that we have around us all the time is that he is lying to us, he is accusing us, and he, he, he tells us things that just are not true. I mean, every person in this place, at some point, you probably heard the voice of Satan, uh, his words in your ears saying, well, look what you've done, you can never be forgiven, or look what you've done, I can't believe what you've done, what will those other people say about it? And, and, and if you listen to that voice, What Satan will will want to do is he'll want to kill, steal, and destroy from you. And he will say to you things like, hey, in light of what you've done, run. Run away. Run away from your church family. Run away from God. Run away from the family. Look at what you've done. You should be ashamed. Look what you've done. And guys, can I just tell you for a minute, I have seen this happen so many times in people's lives and in ministry that they have believed the lie of the enemy, and they didn't really understand how real the enemy was, the accuser of the brethren, the slanderer. I'll never forget baptizing somebody in this church, and I always take time to explain to people what baptism is all about. And this particular person was already afraid of water. They couldn't swim, and I was going to baptize them. And I, I said, hey, instead of you thinking about not being able to swim, why don't you think about this? That water, when you come up out of that water... You're going to be cleansed from all the sin you've ever done. It's going to be wiped away. And I said, when you come out of that water, I just want you to celebrate the forgiveness of all your sin. And I'll never forget pulling her up out of that water. And here's a person who was deathly afraid of water because she couldn't swim. When she came out of that water, it wasn't fear on her face. It was was elation that her sins had been forgiven because for the longest time she'd bought the lie of the enemy who had told her she couldn't be forgiven. I've had those same moments with folks who, believe it or not, when we offer Holy Communion, when we offer the bread and the juice and we say, this is the table of God, come and receive. We did that last weekend. You remember we had Holy Communion last weekend. When we offer that, I've had folks at this very church who said, I can't come to Holy Communion. If you knew what I'd done, I can't come. I mean, I I would be too unworthy to come. And they would hold themselves away from what John Wesley called the table of grace because they saw themselves, they believed the lie, they believed the accuser, the brethren, who said, you know what, not you, everybody else, but not you. You're not worthy to go and receive grace. I'll never forget talking with one young man about, (laughs) he confessed to me an affair, he confessed to me an adultery, and he said to himself, I just, I'll never be able to see, receive communion again. I'll never forget when he finally came and received communion, how it was liberating. How he was looking at Satan, basically stepping on his neck and saying, I'm not going to believe your lies, your slander anymore. I'm going to receive grace for myself. And there was joy in his heart. Just one more. I've asked some of you before to step into a role of, of leadership or ministry because I saw certain gifts and graces in you. And I've had some folks in this very congregation look at me and say, I I just don't think that I'm fit to minister. I don't don't see myself as a person who can be in that role because of what has happened in my past. It makes me unfit for ministry. And listen, I'm just telling you who he is. He is the slanderer, and he's the accuser of the brethren. And he wants to take everything in your past and hold it up in front of you and say, Hey, listen, you can't be forgiven. What do those other people think about you? Why don't you just run? Run away from God, run away from church, run away, run away. And let me tell you, here's here's the message. The message is that all throughout your life, you have a very real enemy. He's your enemy, he's the enemy of your children, he's the enemy of your children's children and those children that follow them. And he wants to kill, steal, and destroy, and he's called the accuser of the brethren. In Revelation, it tells us he accuses the saints, wanting them not to be able to receive forgiveness of their sin and grace. You have a very real enemy. By the way, what does the lion king teach us? Here's a cool thing. I bet you'd never thought about this before. The lion king, when we, when, normally we talk about Satan and the devil, right? Normally, I think Garden of Eden. I think serpent, right? But you know what Peter tells us? He says there's a different image for the, the evil one. He compares him to a lion. Not too different from Scar, huh? Read this scripture with me from 1 Peter. The Bible says in 1 Peter um, 5, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So let me just tell you, let me just remind you today, the devil wants to convince you that your life is of no value to God. Now, here's the cool thing this this Disney film teaches me. What does Simba need to do instead of run? Somebody help me out. What should he have done instead of running? What should he have done? Yeah, he should have just told the truth. I mean, what would have happened if he went back to his mom and said, Mom, I don't even know what happened, but I was in the gorge. And would his mom have forgiven him? Absolutely. See, Scar is lying. Scar's trying to get Simba to run off, and he's going to go kill Simba. He doesn't love and care for Simba. All Simba had to do was tell the truth. He just had to call it what you want to call it, repent. He had to call it what he had, tell the truth and tell what happened, confess what happened, and he would have been forgiven by all the other animals and by by his mother. The Bible reminds us of this, 1 John 1, and maybe you need to hear this word over your life today. If you've been listening to the accuser of brethren, that you're not worthy of grace, you're not worthy and your life doesn't matter, listen to these words. If we confess our sins, our God is faithful and just and will forgive our sins, I love this and purify us from, what's that next word, say it out loud, all unrighteousness. He will forgive us all the way. He'll wipe our sins clean, wipe us away. That's that's the kind of God that we have. And you need to be aware of the kind of enemy that you have. Well, you know this story, right? Let's just press on the story a little bit. What does Simba do? He runs away. By the way, he runs away for years He's gone for years. He starts growing up while he's away. And while he's away, Scar takes over the Pride Lands, and he completely destroys the Pride Lands. There's no more food. It's in waste. It's in peril. It's 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 just destroyed. And while Simba is away, who does he meet? You remember a warthog and a little meerkat? What are their names? Pumbaa and Timon, right? He meets Pumbaa and Timon. And Pumbaa and Timon try to help uh, Simba, and here's how they try to help him. They teach him a little phrase, and that phrase is called Hakuna Matata, and that means no worries, right? No worries, Simba. Don't worry about what's happened back over there. Just live a life. No worries. It's our problem-free mentality, right? And, and they, they teach him a great song, but, but the whole point is Simba joins in with Pumbaa and, uh, and Timon, and Simba starts living a worry-free life, you know? <laughs> I'm not going to worry about what's over there. Here's what he starts thinking. I'm not going to worry that I was the king. I was the future Lion King, right? I'm not going to worry about what's happening back over in the Pride Lands. I got a new home out here with Timon and Pumbaa. I'm not going to worry about any of my destiny or any of my calling or that one time where I was held up in front of everybody else, his his anointing. I'm not going to worry about that. I'm just going to live a problem-free, worry-free life. But the truth, the, by the way, when I get to this part in the movie, I think about the prodigal son. You Remember that story of the prodigal son who went off, went away from his dad, just lived the worry-free, care-free life? But there's an end to that. There's going to be a day where you realize the akuna matata life doesn't work, okay? The life where you don't, don't think about who you really are who you were meant to be, what your destiny really was. You can live the Hakuna Matata life only so long. And it finally comes to a place with Simba when he's confronted with what has happened to the Pride Lands and who he was supposed to be, the call and the destiny of his life, and how the Pride Lands have been destroyed by the evil and scar, that he finally comes to a place of going, you know what? Maybe Hakuna Matata, I need to drop that. Maybe I need to remember who I am. This is my favorite part of the whole movie, okay? Favorite part of the whole movie for me. I just love this part. Hey, watch this with me. You know my father? Correction, I know your father. I hate to tell you this, but he died a long time ago.
1: Nope, wrong again. (laughs) He's alive, and I'll show him to you. You follow old Rafiki, he knows the way. Come on! (sighs) Don't talk! Hurry up! Hey, whoa, wait, wait. Come on, come
0: on! Would you slow down?
1: That's not my father. It's just my reflection. No. Look hard. You see, he lives in you. Don't leave me. Father, don't leave me. What was that? <laughs> the weather. Very peculiar, don't you think? Yeah. Looks like the winds are changing. Ah, uh, change is good. Yeah, but it's not easy. I know what I have to do, but going back means I'll have to face my past. I've been running from it for so long. Ow! Jeez, what was that for? It doesn't matter. It's in the past. <laughs> yeah, but it still hurts. Oh, yes, the past can't hurt. But the way I see it, you can either run from it, or learn from it. Ah! You see? So what are you going to do? First... I'm gonna take your stick. No, 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 no! Not a stick! Hey! Where are you going? I'm going back! Good! Come Go on! Get out of here! <laughs>
0: Hey, you got your pen, would you write down something for me? I want to invite you to write down point number three. And and that's something that we're learning from this particular part of the movie. We all have a tendency, we all have a tendency to forget who we are. And one of the things the Lion King reminds me and the biblical story reminds me that we must remember who we are. I'm going to pause this regularly scheduled message right now and ask every man in the room to stand up. It's okay. If you're a young man, you can stand up too. Young man. I see see a very young man over there. Every Father's Day and every Mother's Day, we give gifts away to ladies and to men. And today, we have a gift for you, and it's up here at the front. So I'm going to ask you to come get your gift. Would you come get it? Come on. We got it in brown, and we got it in camo. Grab it. And throw it on for a minute, if you will. Thank you. Now, while these guys are getting these uh, brown and camo bracelets, I'll tell you what they say in just a minute. But let me just remind you of what we are just talking about in point number three. We all have a tendency to forget who we are. Now, that's that's part of the human condition, okay? That doesn't matter if you're a man or if you're a, a woman. We all have a tendency to forget who we are. Thank you. You got one. You already got one. All right. I'm going to grab one. Camo. These bracelets say, Remember... He lives in you. You know, the truth of the matter is, there's a prodigal in every one of us, and all of us have known what it was like to run away. To run away from maybe the way we were raised, to run away from our faith, maybe to even run away from the God that we knew and loved and walked with and talked with, and then to go our own way for a little while. And this whole Lion King story reminds us that it's really part of our human condition story, right? That every one of us in our own little way will have run away at some point and we will have forgotten who we are. But the point of that, this journey is that at some point we would remember. Did you know the Bible says over and, over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, remember? Have you ever thought one of the reasons God gave you the power to remember was so that you would remember Him in those moments? We all have a tendency I'll never forget going off to the University of Georgia, being raised in a church and now having to go find my own church and being in Athens, Georgia and and having a chance to make new friends. There were some friends that led me towards Christ and there were some friends that led me away from Christ and there were some friends, I'm ashamed to say, that along with my own behaviors and my own choices caused me to forget who I was. And I gave you these bracelets, we gave you these bracelets today, men, um, as our gift to you to remind you of who you are that the Holy Spirit lives in you, that you do shape your children's and your grandchildren's and your great-grandchildren's lives, and there's power in you, and you're to be a leader. And I just want to tell you as a pastor, I need strong male leadership in this church. I need you to remember who you are. And will we all have a tendency? Yeah, there are going to be times where we forget. But one of the great things about uh, the Bible and, and, and a, being a body of Christ like this is we get to remind one another who we are meant to be, who we are meant to be, and that Christ lives in every one of us. Well, you know the rest of the story, right? Simba goes back. And I'm not going to show you another clip, but uh, you know the story. Simba heads home. And what does hap- What happens? I mean, it's a Disney movie. What do you think is going to happen, huh? Right? Happy ending, right? Things are gonna, Simba's going to go back. He's gonna defeat Scar. He's gonna become the, the rightful Lion King that he was meant to be. He's gonna restore paradise, and the pride lands are gonna be back. And it's a Disney movie. You finish really nice and it's it's fun, right? Happy ending, right? But here's my question for you. Have you ever wondered why Disney movies end with a happy ending? You ever thought about it? I mean, right? It, it, it's what we want, right? Don't we all want a happy ending? I mean, we don't want the end of the movie to stay dark. We don't want death to win out. We don't want evil to have the last word. What we want as consumers is for the story to end with a happy ending, right? We want that to be the case. But I would suggest to you listen, listen. Here's the truth Disney gives that to us because that's what we want. We want a happy ending. We we don't want darkness to have the final word. We don't want pain and disappointment and hurt and loss and all that bad stuff to be the ending. We don't want that. They give it to us because of the way we want it. We want a happy ending. But here's the truth. The truth of the gospel that I get to proclaim to you today. The truth of the matter is, that's the way it really will be. You know, according to the Bible... The Lion King, oh, you got your pen? Write down point number four there for me. One day, the Lion King, the Lion of the tribe of Judah will come again. Here's what I want to remind you. The Bible says the true story of the gospel is that we live in a very broken world. We live in a world of evil and hatred and darkness, and sometimes it looks like it has the very final word, But you know what the gospel tells us? And every Easter Sunday, we gather together, we proclaim it together. We say, this is a book of resurrection. This is a book that says death will never have the final word. This is a book that says the king will come back, and darkness will not have the final word. He will have the final word, and he will reign in victory forever. You remember that opening scripture I shared with you when when John was weeping, and one of the elders said, don't weep. For the lion of tribe of Judah is going to triumph over all this mess. That In that very same message in the book of Revelation, the elders change the name of Jesus uh, to, from, from a lion to a lamb. And I put it right here in the scripture for you from Revelation chapter 7. Read the ending of the story with me. He who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not bear beat down on them, nor any scorching heat, for the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. That's the good news. That's the happy ending, right? For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Hallelujah. That's how our story ends. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, we read that, we, we get the Disney stories and it's a happy ending because the human condition wants the happy ending. But you know what the Bible tells us? The truth of the matter is that our king will triumph and he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. You know, it didn't hit me what happened in Charleston this past week. and I mean, I it, I was mournful. I prayed for what had happened. But somebody went on Facebook and they put the pictures of all nine people had been killed. I sat there and pulled up every one of those pictures and looked into those eyes and I saw the reality of every one of those human lives that had gone to a prayer meeting at a sister church of ours, an African Methodist Episcopal church, a sister church of ours. One border away, they'd gone to a prayer meeting and they invited a person into that prayer meeting and that very person stood up and took nine lives out of that place. And I was sitting there looking at those pictures on Facebook. And I realized the sorrow, the evil, the hurt, and it was then, that really then, that my heart broke. And I I just remember on Wednesday, having an ache inside my heart for the world we live in, you know, was race involved? Absolutely. Were drugs involved? Absolutely. Was a mental unbalance involved? Absolutely. But let's go to the core of it. You know what was there in that church that night, in the prayer meeting, when God's people, it's the evil one. The evilness and the wickedness and the hatred was right there in the room, and it reminds us that we live in a very broken, broken world. And a lot of eyes are on Charleston right now. Guys, we live right next to Atlanta, Georgia. And lives are taken every day here. Lives are snuffed out. And there is evil and there's wickedness. And we speak against it and we battle against it. But here's what we have to remember. Until the Lion King returns, we will be in a broken, fallen world. It is so important that we, that we minister to this broken, fallen world. You know what I started thinking? This guy, Dylan Roof, you know I started thinking? What would have happened? He's 21 years old. By the way, he's a kid. He's 21 years old. He's a baby, right? He's a kid. What would have happened if somebody got that guy to church? What would have happened if he'd have been in VBS like these kids this week will be in our VBS? What would have happened if he'd come to a church like this and somebody would have just helped him move beyond the hatred to a place of love, to a place of Jesus, right? And not had his life in the hands of the enemy. What would have happened? We live in such a fallen, broken world. Our job is, we got to understand, this world, to a lot of folks, it ain't going to make a lot of sense. We've got to help make sense of it all. There's going to be weeping, and there's going to be hurt. And there's going to be hatred, there's going to be division, there's going to be death. One day the king's going to come back. One day when he comes back, here's the good news, paradise will be restored. The Bible says he will shelter us under his wings and he will wipe every tear from our eyes. This morning, um, we got to go. Some folks got lunch appointments and the like. But I just wanted to end with a time of flooding our altar here with prayer for our world. We're just going to kind of end in some quiet music here. And we're going to invite you to kind of come and pray for our world. And I'd love it. I'd love it if some of you would just come here and bow on this floor and pray for Charleston. And pray for the churches of Charleston. And pray for the families of those who lost their loved ones. Pray for those families because I, I heard some of them already speaking. These are people of faith, and they are not being overcome with evil, Romans 12, but they are overcoming evil with good. They're doing the very thing Jesus challenged us to do. And so we need to pray for them. And you and I need to pray for our places of work, and we need to pray for our church right here in this Locust Grove, you know, Henry County, McDonough, Hampton area, because, guys, God's called us to minister in a very broken world. Well, our altar's open. On this Father's Day, I I just would like to invite you to come and talk to our Heavenly Father about how long He might be before He comes back and how He might use us to minister to this broken world. Would you join me at the altar here? Would you come and pray? God might be leading you to come and pray for our, our church, our lives, our ministry in this broken and fallen world. Just come on, grab a knee. Let's just pray together. While you're coming, one young man came up to me earlier today and he said, would you pray for children who don't have a dad? Would you pray for children that don't have a father to look up to, to shape their lives? So I told him I'd, I'd ask you to pray. So we're going to pray today for especially those who don't have who don't have a dad caring for. I'm going to just give you a couple of minutes. Would you just cry out to God however he might lead you and then I'll lead you in